a Wednesday to Thursday Maui trip. <laughs> yeah, just a day. You know, the, the irony of that is I probably need to be in California on the 11th. Going via Maui <laughs> isn't the worst choice. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 394 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Fosma Mood and Seth Miller. Gentlemen. Good day. How's it going? Hey. hey. It's going all right. I think I think you said living the dream, Seth. Yeah, usually that means things are terrible. Yeah, yeah. Living the dream. Living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's not that bad, but hot. Very hot. Very hot. Yeah, how, it's coming. How, it's, how toasty is it up there? Uh, we're in the high nineties, which New Hampshire is definitely not built for. Oh, no. And, and Foz, didn't you just have like some flooding rain? No, I, I was just South of it. So like the last three weeks has been brutal for where I am. Cause we're every day. It's like, we'll get rain. And then as the rain's supposed to approach, it either passes us to the North or the South. So <laughs> everything is dead. Grass is yellow, <laughs> but like 30 minutes North, it's like, there was like eight inches in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I saw like photos of New York, like city with you know giant potholes and you know sinkholes swallowing cars, cars cars floating away. I I will say, I mean, obviously last week was Farnborough, and we talked a little bit about how hot it was going to be and why I wasn't, you know, why that's a good reason not to go. um, Among other things, one of the interesting statistics there was a lot of different impacts from that. The rail, you know, lines they had to slow down the trains because it was so hot, and part of that is. You know, tied to the rail expands, like metal expands when it gets hotter. Mm-hmm. 30 centimeters, about a foot of expansion per kilometer. Oof. Wow. So the 30,000 kilometers of rail that they have got like nine kilometers longer during the heat wave. It just like, I mean, the, the, that's, that's the scale nuts. of that is kind of insane. And like, yeah. you put gaps between, like, you do it in concrete too. That's why there's like the lines in concrete is expansion gaps. Mm-hmm. So you can expand it without cracking it. But like, they had to run the train slower because that reduces heat and pressure on them uh, as well. So that's part of why they do that. There was a very interesting thread on Twitter about it, but I was sort of dumbfounded by the 30 centimeters per kilometer of rail expansion. Yeah. It's a lot, it's a, it's a lot more expansion than you would expect for the distance. Like that's yeah. You know. I, I, mean, I mean, like a kilometer is a long distance, right? It's yeah. five eighths of a mile. So a foot over 3000 feet roughly. But yeah, still, but, but you're thinking about that like you're like a foot. Huh? But it's like <laughs> it's metal. Is it really supposed to do that? And the answer is yes. But uh. well, I mean, th- to to throw the aviation angle at it, right? Like the the SR seventy one, yeah, the the fastest jet in the world that we know about, um, was it was actually built to expand in heat. Yeah. So, so it was Concord, leaked, yeah, Concord was. So it was like it leaked fuel on the on the apron at the airport. Yeah. Um, we could also but, make the aviation reference of Breeze Norton Air Force Base in the UK, and I believe Luton Airport both had to suspend operations at various times during the heat wave because the runway was melting. Basically, I find this interesting. Like, do we know if their runways were made of uh, asphalt? Are they like are they not concrete? I bet. Well. So one of the things, again, that thread I was reading about the engineering of the rail, and I imagine it applies to many other things as well, is you engineer for the range of weather you are expecting. Mm. And so even if it's asphalt, there'd be different blends. Yeah. Or concrete, there'd be different blends, different sort of decisions you would make on wanting to support the colder weather more than the hotter. And it turns out the weather has changed in the last 50 to 70 years since a lot of those runways were built. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I, I guess they go back out after and try and smooth the runway over or fill the 
places where it's no longer yeah. even, that kind of thing. Mm. We also had, there was a hole at DCA just like randomly in one of the runways. So <laughs> everything's fine. Yes. Everything's fine. It says that dog with all the fire behind him. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so another piece of follow-up, I think, I think it was interesting. There was actually a thread on Hacker News about, and I won't say who posted the original post uh, because I, I don't really care about the politics behind it, but the thread was basically someone saying, um, LaGuardia Airport is now terrible. Bring back the old LaGuardia. And it, it comes back to this idea of... Foz, uh, you're writing again? <laughs> So my spirit animal? Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's basically saying I used to be able to get to my gate in five minutes, uh, and now I can't, uh, and this sucks, and I hate the people mover, and I ha- I hate having to uh, go through a shopping mall to get to my gate, and all this crap. Um, which I don't I'm, I don't disagree with some of it. However, I think airports, and I think the point I wanted to make was. Yeah, some of that stuff sucks for people who travel frequently and don't use those amenities and don't care. It sucks for people who like to show up 20 minutes before their flight and walk through security. Yes, it sucks. That's not the majority of Americans, unfortunately. So wait, wait, that's not also not the majority of travelers. True. Right. Right now. But I would say in general, Foz, like in the airport nowadays. Well, yeah, I guess now. but, But I just think. It's business not- travel hasn't rebounded, right? So, like, this is the same problem as OTG, right? These things, mm-hmm. these airports are being converted to appeal to the casual traveler, and the airlines have don't really give a crap about the road warriors. But I, but I feel like I, I feel like, but I feel like that's not true for Laguardia because it was already in progress and designed well before COVID. Yes, but that's also, the, you, but you I would argue, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was saying you can hate. Yeah, I'm going then. Uh, you can hate OTG all you want, and I do for the most part, but. It actually is used by the business travelers too. Like if the shops in the airports are used by business travelers too, they wouldn't exist if they didn't, if they weren't, because those are the people who are in the airports more, even if there's, you know, the overall volume of people. You may not like it, but they're used. They're used by the business travelers because the airlines have taken away all the other options. Or they may, or they've given you a line to get into the lounge that's like forty people deep. Yeah, I, I mean, I like consciously avoid as much OTG as I can. Do I use them occasionally? Absolutely, because I don't have a choice. Um, often shopping at airports has existed forever and it's not because uh, it's not only for the two people going to visit you know the family going to visit grandma or the people going on their holiday that's all no, i'm saying no that's not what but johnson that's not, and murphy's has existed in airports forever and i have no idea who the hell's buying dress shirts there but i had to do it once as a business traveler right like th- these are, those are not your casual traveler stores it, no it's less about really for from the otg perspective it's less about the stores where you go buy sundries or something like that right it's more about the restaurants the, the whole iPad experience, right? This is, there's, you're paying a 20, 30% markup to what the food should really cost. We were always promised that we'd get better service and better quality. And that lasted for all of about six months uh, at a lot of these airports. And it's gone to the same surly, I don't give a crap attitude that we always had, but now we're paying a lot more for it. And why? Because the airlines are making a back-end rebate on all these transactions. That's true. I mean, I think, I mean, again, airports want to make money. And so they're looking for the best way to make that buck. And so, yeah, OTG is a great way to, uh, it's a great path to that. But the, OT, the, the airports are supposed to be a public service. They're not supposed to be there to make money. Well, but I think that's a is, funny theory. Yeah. I mean, I think this is America and the reality is everyone wants well, to make money. Well, well, no, to, to, it's interesting though, Stephen, to pause this point, most of the airports in the United States are publicly owned. Oh, that's yeah. Right. In, in there's other places where they are not. Um, you know, Europe is actually a much better example of their private enterprise, right? Heathrow yep. is 
a very different beast in some of the terminals in the US, right? Like at JFK, the terminals are generally operated as private industry, but the airports are publicly owned and managed. But a lot of airports are actually owned and operated by the cities yeah. or the you know, the county or what, something of that nature. So I mean, even you could argue Port Authority owns and operates the airports, but not the terminals in most cases. Uh, that's not true. They operate all of LaGuardia, right? They operate A and B at Newark and will when one when it opens. Hmm. Not JFK. Not JFK. Does I mean so I mean the other point that was made, right, was this like five minute walk to the car from the car to the plane. Yes, that was true at LaGuardia. If you showed up early though for your flight, what did that gain you? Because now you're just stuck in a basically glorified closet that has leaky ceilings for, you know, two hours. <laughs> but but here's the thing, right? It, money would have been far better spent on optimizing the runway configuration. Could you right? do that? Does, to do what? You could add, add another a, runway at LaGuardia? Yeah. Parallel to either one of the two, so you can have parallel operations, right? One of the challenges of LaGuardia is the intersection. Uh, where are you going to buy land that's a thousand, was it 500 feet or a thousand feet separated from either of those runways? They just, I forget the numbers. Just like they extend the runways into the bay. <laughs> those, go, look, go look at a map, dude. That doesn't work. There's literally nowhere to put that. You're going to buy out like a Rikers. You don't need a Rikers anymore, but, right? Right. But you could also. Move the you could have moved the existing terminals to where th- uh, either four twenty two is or vice versa to g- regain space for a parallel runway. That's not a bad idea, actually. Right, like the- yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the physical reality of what you're describing does not work. Or I think you could you, the money would have been better spent closing Lagordia. You'd be better off spending that money and burying was it the Turnpike or one nine, which runs to the east of Newark, and putting a runway there, and that also is never going to happen. <laughs> turnpike, uh, yeah, there's a Turnpike. Or or you could third parallel runway there. But, like, but the bigger problem at Newark is not the runways; it's the fact that there's not very limited flight paths because of Laguardia. Laguardia approach, uh, encroaches the Newark approach on the north end and the south end. I, if, you, I, if you look at where the flights go, twenty miles south of Laguardia or twenty miles south of Newark is where all the flights cross over to the Hudson, and fifteen twenty miles to the north of Newark is where they all cross to climb out. I mean, I'm. I, I would have been. I mean, Fozzie could have just said close Laguardia. <laughs> I have said that before. <laughs> uh, I mean, it would be interesting to see if they could do something. I don't think again a, a thousand feet of separation. I think is what throws everything off on the runways. And I forget. Maybe it's only five hundred. There's some what the parallel runway separation is for dual ops, but but that's for dual ops for takeoff or landing at the same time, right? You can stagger the approaches. That's true. I just. 700 feet for simultaneous. This is uh, VFR. Uh, dual simultaneous precision instrument approaches are normally approved on parallel runways separated by 4,300 feet. Yeah, I think for the takeoffs, you don't need that. That's why that's why SFO runs the way it does at times, where right where they take off on the two ones. Is it ones? Yes. Yeah. And, and they land <clears throat> on the two eights because they can separate the takeoffs by, I think it's I, it's not the full minute. I think it's like 15 seconds. We would need our planner, our dispatcher friend to tell us. But they can do that <clears throat> because they those departures take different routes. And the arrivals, as long as it's timed well, crisscross after the departures have left. So I don't know. There's stuff that could be done. I don't know that you're ever going to get in that. I think that config might actually be worse, though, at, at LaGuardia, right, Foz? Like if you're trying to approach and take off, I don't think they can actually – can they physically do it because – then it would just screw up Newark airspace even more. Yeah, it looks like, sorry, just so you, if either aircraft is a heavy 700 feet centerline for same direction separation, according to this FAA document I found, uh, smaller planes, it's either 300 or 500 feet separation. For, for approaches? For 
parallel operation, same direction operations on parallel runways, parallel landing strips, or on a runway and a parallel landing strip when only the following conditions are met. Gotcha. Okay. And that is VFR still. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, I, I just think about the terminal, right? Itself. I, I don't know that you were going to improve LaGuardia. I, I think it's going to improve people sitting on the tarmac and apron waiting. I think that's going to improve, hopefully. Really? Um, I think because they can move planes through the term, like part of it was you always had those alleyways, right? And you get right. stuck in the alleyway and those alleyways have somewhat gone away. Yeah. Um, and that you can move the planes through on the other side now because of the bridge. Yep. No, so, I, get, I get that. It's but when a storm blows through and there's 40 planes stuck on the ground. You're still yeah. It doesn't really matter at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's right. That's what always what the problem was. I feel like, or not yeah. always, but more of the time it wasn't, it wasn't like, Oh, there's a 15 minute delay at LaGuardia because the plane was stuck in the alleyway. It's, Oh, someone sneezed at Newark, and now there's a three-hour delay because of low ceilings. And don't get me wrong; the new terminal is very nice. I just think the money could have better been have been better spent to make the airport more efficient. Right? This is just addressing. This is not redressing the real problem that planes aren't moving in fast fast enough. Yeah, and, I, and I'm going to say again: with the footprint that you have, what efficiency could you have developed? So you had ten billion dollars. I still don't think you could add another runway. I think you could add a run, another runway, but even short of that, you could very easily cut operations by twenty percent and force everyone to upgauge. Ooh, I like that. No, that, no, that, no that regionals be, into Laguardia, or at least no fifty-seat regionals, right? And mm-hmm. if you cut the number of slots by twenty percent, I, I would put money on the fact that it would improve the overall operation and actually have a uh, downfall, downwind effect on all three airports. I don't. I, don't I, I will. Agree, I will agree that reducing the number of slots would mean that the ones operating will be more likely to be on time. There's no doubt about that. I'm not sure you could get away with it. I mean, obviously, you would never get away with it. Hey, hey but we're talking about theoretical's here, Seth. So. Sure, yeah, I gave him a ten billion dollar budget. I don't think it's enough. <laughs> okay, then let's, let's just close Laguardia and just bulk up Newark and uh, JFK. I say we build a new airport in the middle of uh, the Upper Bay, Central Park. <laughs> <laughs> can we put a runway? Can we, can we put a round runway in Central Park and just solve all oh, the problems? Sweet God, is that site still up? <laughs> I think there was is. a prank site that did. Yeah. Anyway, he didn't have around <laughs> runway stuff. Okay. Let's talk about, anyway, more let's talk about something more useful, please. So did anything actually happen at Farnborough? I mean, you didn't go Seth, but you were, I didn't go. So obviously nothing happened. Yes. Yes. That's, that's my typical assertion. Uh, if I wasn't there, it didn't happen. No, I, I think a lot of things did happen. Some we expected, some we didn't. Um, hmm. Delta did in fact order the max 10 uh, as expected, a hundred of them, 30 options. Uh, some interesting debate about what exactly they're going to replace and how the sort of gauge is going to shift at the airline. Uh, also, Delta has explicitly noted that if the Max 10 doesn't get built, it has options to shift to a different uh, variant, the 9, presumably. So get similar capacity, but not quite exactly the same. There's, there's got to be a clause in there that says we could also nullify the contract. I would assume so, but uh, that wasn't specifically Explicitly, discussed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was... Also sort of as expected, one interesting bit in the press release about it, which was, I don't remember if it was the Boeing release or the Delta release, but one at least one of them made mention of how the plane is built with parts from all over the country and blah, 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 basically starting to lobby Congress to change the rules. <laughs> which that's the only way it's going to happen, right? I mean, it's a very, and we talked about this before, it's a very difficult situation for Congress to say, oh, yes, this rule that we negotiated and voted on to improve safety of airplanes, never mind, it doesn't apply here. Like how, how do you how, how do you do that with a straight face and not get skewered for it? Um, and the only answer is going to be, well, if we didn't do that, everybody would lose their jobs, and it would be bad for you know lots of our constituents. Yeah, but uh, still awkward. So um, I mean, 
to that end, there's the, the battle over whether, uh, was it SkyWest Charter? Mm-hmm. Which is they're trying to take a bunch of their 50-seaters, make them 30-seaters, and fly them a scheduled charter service, with which doesn't require both pilots to have 1,500-hour minimums. Uh, and that's become a safety debate as well with, you know, the uh, rep- the legislators who represent those districts where, you know, SkyWest has big operations saying this is great and it will help but in small cities and those who are, you know, there's a lot of who are saying otherwise of like, why would we make flying less safe and Alpa's opposed to it because Alpa likes the 1500 hour minimum rule and some things like that. So it's a, that's a super interesting one too, but that didn't happen at uh, Farnborough. So interesting. Yeah. Uh, who else ordered planes? EasyJet? 56 more A320 Neos or 320 family. Uh, I think 18 of them are going to be 321. So again, bigger, more and bigger planes. Are they, are they expanding the airline or are they going to be replacing some of their like classic A320s? Yes. Okay. I think the the answer with all of these same dealt the same way. I mean, not all of this because there's some of the ones we got coming up, but I think the answer is we're, we're going to use them as replacements, but if we've got older planes or things that, you know, either it's a least or it's owned, we can extend the older uh, planes a little bit cheap. We would keep them if the growth demanded it. Yeah. If demand is there. So, uh, so that was a decent size order for EasyJet. I think what was interesting is that was probably the largest uh, Airbus order announced. <laughs> and the Airbus's executives left on the third day, didn't even stay to the last day. Wow. The sales guys, because they didn't have anything major to announce, which makes the, but there was an announcement on the last day. Latam announced like 17 new planes. So the fact that the main guys weren't there was a little awkward. Um, Latam's and that order also includes didn't confirm, but says they're super interested in the XLR, which is the long range model I th- or extra long range model. I think that's interesting just from the perspective of South, South America to North America, smaller markets, some mm-hmm. of the opportunities there. Um, Using a plane with that range. I mean, you think you think we're talking deeper South America to places like Miami, or are you thinking more like markets that are smaller in the United States from bigger markets in South America? I think it could go both ways, uh, mm. right? Like Miami is almost is always going to have huge demand. Yeah. Uh, one of the challenges Latam is, has in that market in Miami now is that its partner is Delta, not American. So feed mm. is challenging mm-hmm. uh, and right there, joint ventures coming along. So that's happening. But uh, I think it'll be real interesting to see, right? Could they go from, you know, s- their main hubs in South America to, secondary cities in North America more efficiently? Like, could you start flying straight? You know, could you fly to Houston? Yeah, I was actually going to mention that. Like, it seems like, you know, Houston is a prime market for some of this or Dallas even. Yeah. Um, and pick up feed where it, there are bigger cities, there are bigger metros that have populations from those parts of South yeah. America. Um, I think that's more likely than trying to go Miami to smaller cities in South America. Mm-hmm. But if if they can align the Delta feed right, that could work. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We should get Marty on and ask him. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you think like places like Recife and places would get service with this? Um, yeah. So I mean, right. That's the other option. Uh, Slightly bigger cities, but not enough to justify secondary size cities in yeah. South America. And yeah, you know, Brazil is an interesting one. I was mostly thinking about Argentina and Chile, but um, yes, Latam has Brazil operations too. So. Uh, yeah, some of those cities to Miami might start picking up nonstops now. Which would actually create some competition with AA, right? Because they fly a lot of those already, don't they, Foz? I think they dropped all of them. Oh, they, really? They, yeah, they were doing Recife and a couple other places, but I think most of them are not happening right now. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think they were COVID drops, though, and would come back. So Interesting. Um, Porter got some E2 orders, right? Or they made it bigger? Made it bigger. Um, 
So yeah, that's a they had thirty firm E twos on order. They added another twenty, I believe. Um, interestingly, on that one, they did not convert options. They added more. Huh. That's why I always am intrigued by that sort of decision making process and like why it matters and how. But um, yeah, they and also reiterated that they expect the first one to show up later this year and to launch operations later this year with news on routes and de- other details yet to come. So have they stated, so they're going to keep the operation at Billy Bishop, right? And then expand to Pearson. Is that, that's, that is the read on it. I'm not sure it's a hundred percent confirmed that way, but mm-hmm. yes. Um, that was the E-Jets cannot fly at Billy Bishop. Or, gotcha. Yeah. So um, that's an issue. Um, but the E-Jet, they actually, another thing Porter did, uh, not Porter, Embraer did last week because, you know, hey, we got our planes here and we can demo stuff. They actually brought an E-2-195, which is the largest variant, mm-hmm. into London City for the first time. Oh. So previously they'd done the E-2-190s, but not the 195s. So that is now the largest plane that has uh, operated at London City, and they can, I think they're working on getting it certified. There's a few carriers in Europe that have them or have them on order, so that'll help there. Um, and then boom, what, uh, you, you were going, you were going for the memes. Uh, yeah, I, that's why I was going to go. I wanted to be at that press conference, uh, and see the excitement as of what they were going to announce this time. Uh, new, <laughs> new design. So they've shifted the architecture of the plane a little. It's got gull wings. So the funky curve to the wing, mm-hmm. which is nice for aerodynamics. Uh, they still don't have an engine. Uh, yeah, I think never been closer is an interesting, uh, fun phrase, right? They're, they're working on the engine design still. But they need twice as many engines as they did before. So that's good news. Uh, the the prior designs, all the prior renderings showed a two-engine variant. Mm-hmm. They're now suggesting it will be a four-engine aircraft. M- more engines, more efficient? Is that the phrase now? Four engines for a long haul? Well, <laughs> I was going to use a different term instead of long there. But um, <laughs> the they're claiming it will be quieter and more efficient with four engines. And I just don't understand because I literally look at the entire rest of the commercial aviation industry and none of them say more engines is quieter and more efficient. And maybe indivi- I, I just, I, I just can't. Are we um, sure they're not building like a ramjet or something where it's, you know, no medium bypass. Cause they're small. They look, they look super small. Also, that's the interesting thing. They look like a very, sm- originally it was going to be like, you know, a very wide high engine, high bypass turbo fan, mm-hmm. but tweaked to run in a, in a, at an efficiency somehow that, you know, the gearing would basically work for supersonic speeds. And now it's a smaller bypass, smaller diameter fan, which arguably is better from a uh, metal fatigue and structural strength issues. Yep. Right. Because you're not spinning quite as fast at the outside tips. But uh, the rest of it, I, I just don't understand. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure Concord used a small bypass type. Yeah. Because well, that was the technology of the yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just say this. It was not a quiet airplane. I only saw it twice, and it was very loud both times. So This, is gonna be, this one's going to be much better. Don't worry. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll just take their word for it then. Um, <laughs> what about eVTOL? Did, you, did we see anything new in that space? Uh, nothing flew, uh, yet, but there was a lot on display. Everybody who's anybody, you know, there's been a lot of money went into this sort of the SPAC world pre COVID or even into the early days of COVID, uh, a lot of development, a lot of vendors, and they've all got a slightly different take on it. A lot of them were showing off interiors, which is neat. Um, you know, your, your four seat, a lot of them are like, uh, all facing inward quads of like, so you can like hang out and chat with your friends or have your business meeting on your EV tall while you're headed to the, headed to the airport. 
um, rather than two and two facing forward. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but uh, I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of people who don't like riding backwards. Yeah, I, I think that's a little, I mean, it's more like, it's kind of like a cab type setup. Yeah. Well, but, London cab. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, th- that was an interesting one. Um, I don't know. Th- th- there were, there are definitely a lot of businesses trying to make that model work and mm-hmm. not all of them are going to succeed. Yeah. So, uh, who was it? Uh, Joby has applied for certification and starting its process for certification in the United Kingdom. They've also, they previously had started in the U S um, was one of the sort of milestone-ish things that was announced. Uh, I don't think there was a lot of, I don't think there was anything like, oh my God, it's actually happening, but there was a yeah. lot of talk about what it could be. Yeah. So that's nice. It's interesting. Yeah, for sure. To see kind of the EV tall thing. I, I'm skeptical. Like I'm, I'm equally skeptical of boom and the EV tall stuff. Maybe. Oh, maybe uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's fair. I think EV tall is much more likely to happen. Yeah. Like orders of magnitude more likely, but that's when you start from a very low base, that doesn't necessarily count. Um, which is, I think, boom, this is virtually zero. Uh, I think EVTOL is interesting and likely to happen, but not in the way it is being touted as everyday consumer from home to the office, hopping over traffic stuff. I think yeah. it's, yeah. there are, and probably very little of it in the United States uh, in that space. I think there's sort of opportunities in longer commuter options, so your 150, if they can get the battery of technology to be more efficient and actually have the range, mm-hmm. getting up to the, like the what we would treat now as those 50 seat commuter flights into uh, LaGuardia that Foz wants to stop happening, and <laughs> I'm mostly with you on that, Foz. I don't, I wouldn't mind bigger planes there. Uh, I except that you need space for all those people, so you need the bigger terminal. That was actually another the problem with LaGuardia. There wasn't physically space for all the people that would be on those planes. But anyway, back to. They could have pulled a West uh, Westchester and keep you outside until you know an hour before your flight, <laughs> where there was no space outside either. Um, I mean, I feel like that's like like this is like the story of Bur- of Burbank. <laughs> wait, wait, I mean, let's be fair, right? LaGuardia had a ton of space above the check-in counters, right? Though there was that's all true. those yes. really wide hallways, right? They could make that usable space. I can't believe I went back to LaGuardia and opened this up again. Yeah, it's your <laughs> I'm fault. sorry, listeners. I'm sorry. No, no. The one question about LaGuardia that I have: Does do they still have the on-site dentist? <laughs> I remember that. The uh, the barber reopened at Boston Terminal C. If you're interested in that, I, I think our former producer is would be interested. He's um, always up for a good haircut. Good hair, good airport haircut. <laughs> um, I used it once. I did not enjoy the experience. Um, <laughs> but uh, where were we? Oh, EV tall. I think. Right, like Rome is working on the airports of Rome and something are working on shuttle service in a narrow corridor from the airport to the train station downtown. And that's going to be their first market for eVTOL. And I just mm. look at that and like, guys, you're literally going from the train station, which has a direct rail link to the terminal. Why would we replace an already very efficient electrified service, I'm pretty sure it's an electric train, with a different one that has way fewer seats? And mm-hmm. like by the time you get up and do it and this and that, like maybe only saves you two to five minutes. Yep. Versus airlines don't make money on that. They could. Uh, a, the airlines aren't going to make money on this either. But I mean, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Like Frank, uh, not Frank, Munich Airport wants to do hops to Stuttgart and one other airport. I don't remember now, but some, a similar distance away. Um, I, I kind of get that one. And right, you- so that makes more sense to me. Those are yeah. markets where, again, it. It would make even more sense to me if it was a big enough, you know, vehicle to actually carry 
more people and bags. Yeah. Right. If you can only carry three or four people at a time, especially if they've got luggage. But you can charge the premium for it. I think that's the key there. Yeah. Right? Like if you're about speed and I don't have to go into central Munich and then catch a different train. Like, yeah. But like, I mean, yes. And that, that is very much a thing because like the train from Stuttgart to Munich airport, you do have to all the way, I think you go all the way into town and then the 40 yes. minute, whatever ride back out. Like yeah. that one's much less efficient. It's also a much longer journey um, where there's value, but doing it, I just understand the Rome one. Like, I think that's going to be a problem. But I, where you already have helicopter infrastructure, I think eVTOL can improve safety, efficiency, and scale very yeah. nicely. The random neighborhood in Central Florida that was going to build a vertiport, uh, <laughs> someone talking about they're going to put a vertiport on the, you know, they're going to convert the heliports on the Hudson and East Rivers to be eVTOL operations. Out to the Hamptons, I'm less convinced. Monorail. Say it with me now. Monorail. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get that joke, Seth? I do. Okay. <laughs> Ogdenville. <laughs> oh, anyway. Springfield, so, uh, Ogdenville. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about Airbus putting this open uh, fan engine on an A380 for testing? What is this about? I don't get this at all. Uh, I don't either. The, <laughs> the A380 is going to be the uh, new eco-friendly test frame. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> right? The, the, take the least efficient model Airbus currently operates or, ma- or manufactures and make it into an eco-friendly testing. But you want the quad engine option for testing new engines. Yes. Right? It's, you can still run on the other three. You don't... Yeah, anyway. Um, but uh, there's the idea that a... And there's a board for it now that I'm blanking on this design. But it's basically instead of a, a engine contained inside a cylinder, mm-hmm. it's an open fan. And somehow it is more efficient because, and I don't understand the physics of that. And I'm yeah. glad other people do. I've seen the concept art and some of, I've read a little bit about it, but I, I'm with you. I don't get how this is actually more efficient. Look, in, uh, let's, I'll put aside that I don't understand the physics of it and pretend that's real. Um, I, don't, I don't understand the physics of flight anyways. So in I'm a perfect it. vacuum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but more to the point, I'm really wonder how they're going to deal with the safety consideration. Mm-hmm. Right. Right now, if you have a fan blade fly off, the casing of the engine, the ha- engine housing, is super strong, reinforced, insane, supposed to contain that failure. Yep. If there is nothing around that, what do you do? What do you, changes do you have to make to the airframe to offer structural um, reinforcements to like handle a fan blade trying to penetrate it? You give every window a gun. Um, and they shoot the fan blade as it comes yes. in. Yes, it's a joke. I'm, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, I. I see your point. Maybe I guess you have to reinforce the 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 frame of the plane. Like it but has to. The weight impact of that has got to offset the efficiency of this other engine design. I would think. Yeah, unless you can come up with some kind of new process for um, the the skin that is lighter. I just I, there's a lot of right, and this is. In every one of these sort of, oh, we can make it better, more efficient if we do this one thing. There's always trade-offs. Yeah. But this one has me pretty baffled. Did they say when they were going to actually have this flying? Years. Okay. Right. It's not like it's not like they actually have this thing sitting ready to go. It's still no. in development. Okay. Yeah. And uh, new engines take time. Yeah. yeah. Time that Boom doesn't believe really is required. Um, there was that <laughs> one. That, uh, Airbus also announced some big investments in hydrogen power generation and solutions. So that'll be... Another fun thing to watch. Can we get to hydrogen powered instead of uh, kerosene? Can Can we just remind people that there was this thing called the Hindenburg? There was. <laughs> uh, I, 
I think part of this is this hydrogen fuel cells rather than that, you know, yeah. hydrogen gas. But it would uh, be it would be nice. Things. Yeah, it would be nice to have. You know, your, what is your waste? Oh, it's uh, it's literally water. That'd yeah. be great. There, right there's the challenge. There is it's literally water at the point of consumption, and same with electric. There's no waste at the point of consumption, but you have to generate the hydrogen. You have to gen- you have to charge the batteries. So it is important. To, again, in theory, charging a battery from a you know centralized even if it's a natural gas or, you know, not fully renewable fuel source should be a more efficient way to generate that energy yep. than doing it in a reasonably sized turbine engine attached to a wing of an airplane. And, and, and generating hydrogen is not a, a very efficient process, right? Currently it is a terribly inefficient. And, you know, there's actually, they call it uh, I think there's green, blue, and gray. You have colors of hydrogen. Yeah. We've, based, we've actually talked about it on here before. Yeah. Based on how it's generated. Yep. So uh, green is good. Blue might be gray is bad. Yeah, and there's Should. not there's not a lot of green. There's very very little green hydrogen right now. Yes. So, were you going to say something, Klaus? I thought I heard you jump in there. Uh, no. Okay. Um, I well, one last thing. I don't think this is really related to Farnborough, but it's it's kind of related to this like renewables and uh, greener uh, travel. Um, Spain actually announced that they're going to introduce free train. Uh, yes. Services. Um, and so I think it go it runs from like September 1st to December 31st. And it's, um, it's basically it's seasonal tickets for suburban and regional trains for free for people. Yeah. They looked at the German nine euro, uh, per month thing. We're like, yeah, we'll just give it to them. It'll be fine. Yeah. And, and it's, I think it's not on the super high speed trains, but it's, I think on more of the intercity stuff than Germany allowed. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, they're seeing a lot of, they're trying to basically cut power consumption, uh, where they can because the heat um, and they are, you know, looking to move people around in a way that's a little greener than, uh, uh, you know, jets flying every between, between major cities that have train service. So um, yeah, interesting stuff. The uh, AA and, and UA and Alaska earnings calls were this past week. Uh, anything interesting, titillating, anything like that? They all made more money than they ever have. <laughs> Surprise! Uh, yeah, that is that is a little surprising, right? When you think about it, historically, the bulk of the revenue has been all profit, and profit has been from business travel and international business travel. That still hasn't recovered. Yes, it's recovering pretty quickly, and premium demand is way up. So, and people are paying. I mean, fares are absurdly high right now. Yes, absolutely. But so. I mean, when you look at the number of international flights the airlines are running right now compared to three years ago, it's still probably thirty percent, forty percent less. Yeah. Uh, in the U.S., I mean, Alaska obviously wouldn't be included in this. Alaska did fine thanks to you know Hawaii demand and domestic. Uh, United and American are in are much more recovered than that for transatlantic. They're much less for transpacific. Yeah. So, and it's argue South America as well. Uh, South America is mostly recovered. Okay. Uh, the, the number it's the numbers good. Also, fuel. I mean, it would have been even more uh, profitable, save for fuel costs. The airlines, you know. Spent something like $4 billion each for American and United on fuel last quarter. <laughs> Jeez. So someone's making some good money there. So, um, so, so, so I mean, I, I think on top of this, right, is this is this a bad sign for winter, right? Do we, does things – like we still haven't really seen – I've gone and looked at ticket prices anecdotally for the next four months, and it, I haven't seen like a drop-off in prices. Um, it seems like everything – they're keeping prices where they're at now. Okay. I've you know. seen – the stuff I've looked at has dropped. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm I, I'm down to five hundred, six hundred dollars a year instead of fifteen hundred. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I've seen like come Labor Day. I've seen stuff right after Labor Day drop. So that's I mean that's a good sign for us as travelers. Do you think that they're just pre- pl- planning or prepping for the fact that there's going to be less demand, and so they're trying to prop up some of that demand now before, like they're trying to be forward thinking in some of this. Well, I mean, what I've seen is right. It, it, we're in bizarre world from an airline perspective world where right now it's within historically the logic is the further out, you know, you want to buy 60 to 90 days out, maybe even 30 <laughs> right now you want to buy within 14 days. Mm. Yeah. Seven. And the, uh, I will say, I think it was United said they're starting to see more of a return to that advanced purchase cycle, the, the, mm. the 60 ish days rather than the less than six. Um, so it's making it easier for them to plan and forecast revenue, which is good for the airline. Um, and in some ways good for consumers, not always. Uh, but it certainly helps understand like what the likelihood of fares going up or down is more easily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, and I said a long time ago, there was a, there's a likelihood that people, even with the terrible uh, fares and hotel costs and rental cars and other inflationary challenges, looked at this summer and were like, it's been two years, I don't care, we're going. Yep. And that may have a knock-on effect down the line of like, yeah, we afford it. We could we couldn't afford that, but we did it anyways. Now we can't afford the next trip later in the year, and we're just we we're not going to take that extra risk on. So, or yeah. on. so yep. I do think there's a real risk of that happening. Yeah. Um. What is what is this branding via salt and salt pepper shakers? Shaker? What is this? I, I know you guys are going to laugh. What airline business class salt and pepper shakers do you think are iconic? Can you name? Can you think of any offhand? Lufthansa's Virgin. The old Virgin ones. The old Virgin ones, which were the little planes, right? Yep. What uh, are Lufthansa's? Lufthansa's just like were like nice and they like fit together. They were ceramic and white. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I can't think of anybody else. Uni- United uses the little globes. They're plastic. They're kind of oh, that's right. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. Things like so. Uh, Iberia is introducing new salt and pepper shakers in its business class cabins, and it's. Uh, I got to read the name because I'll get it wrong here. Uh, to recognize uh, Diego Velasquez's Las Meninas, uh, which is, uh, sp- I guess, sculptures that are in the heart of the Prado Museum in Madrid. Okay. Um, they're making mini Las Meninas uh, salt and pepper shakers. They're like women in dresses, in, like big like hoop skirt dresses. So I guess when you need a, a press release, this this counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's... Yeah, does it matter? Probably not. But it's one of those things. Yeah, you guys named the uh, most of the salt and pepper shakers I could think of as well. It, but it was one of those things. There are. It's a funny little bit of branding in the business class cabin that I just feel like sometimes uh, easy to ignore. But like when it's done right, it's like ah, oh, you know, that's actually not so bad. And if 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 it's if it's similar to like how uh, KLM does the Dutch the the Delft houses, yeah, and you like you know there's some unique ones. I could see it being cool. Like oh okay, I'll, I'll take those uh, and keep them. I mean maybe they don't want you to keep them, but <laughs> it's collectible salt and pepper shakers. I've, yeah, exactly. I've taken a, uh, Turkish. Oh, that's the other one I meant to mention. Oh yeah, Turkish yeah. is a little like minaret looking like yeah. cylinders with little domes on top. So those are pretty cool. I did take, I definitely kept and they're ceramic also. I definitely kept a set of those. <laughs> Um, and then United and Air Canada are still talking about a joint venture. I thought this was dead a long time ago. So they managed it, this came across last week in the filings and I sort of read it and sort of didn't. Um, I can't figure out exactly why it changed, but it has changed. And it seems like their latest application, they were able to get expanded. Uh, they were able to eliminate many of the route exclusions that the DOT previously was requiring. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so it looks like they're going to give it another go. You're correct that they, they've been approved multiple times, but each approval came with sufficient uh, carve outs that the airlines decided it wasn't worth it. Um, this latest one seems like those carve outs are not going to be included or fewer of them. So it looks like they're going to finally try and give it a go for real for right. transporter, which is hard to be- for me to believe given that like the Delta West jet transporter fell apart and some other things or didn't go quite as well as those airlines wanted because of LaGuardia. Like it's hard for me to believe that this is actually that the DOT went gen- was generous enough on this one. But so, so, so we, so we started with LaGuardia and then you just ended it on LaGuardia. So bummed they didn't repossess the slots. <laughs> Uh, you know, Foz, the DOT has tried to not allocate those slots at Newark, and they lost that lawsuit. So I'm pretty sure they'd never get away with it at LaGuardia either. <laughs> um, so, yeah, to our listeners, that's that's the show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Seth's trip home from uh, the West Coast uh, in the Patreon bonus topic. Uh, stick around for that if you're a Patreon subscriber. If not, we love your support. Uh, but either way, we thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk next time. Happy travels. Take care. Catch you later.